What are we on about? Well, these questions, basically. Who is Jesus and what did he come to do? Who is Jesus and what did he come to do? Why would you bother watching Jesus? Why bother listening to Jesus? Why bother following Jesus? Who is he and what did he come to do? Um, Right from the very beginning of Mark's Gospel, the section we're going to look at today, you get a sense of the bigness, the hugeness of who Jesus is and the world-changing extent of what he came to do. Uh, There's no messing around. Mark gets straight on to the, the, the job of telling us what's going on. Kind of like someone else has gotten busy in the first couple of weeks of their job recently. This chap, the 45th President of the United States. There has been a lot going on in his first two weeks. Uh, One word that you might use to describe the administration is chaotic. Um, Another word is change. Uh, Right from the very beginning, with no messing around, Donald Trump is clearly trying to change things in America. He wants to change the way things happen in Washington. He wants to change the way America does business with the rest of the world. Whatever you think about Trump... Uh, you can't question the idea that he sees himself as someone who is here to bring change about. But let me say this. All the things Donald Trump wants to do, they are nothing, nothing compared with who Jesus is and the massive, earth-shattering, life-changing things that Jesus came to do. See, there is no one more important than Jesus. There's no one who measures up to him, no one more significant than him in the history of the world who's ever done the things that he came to do. And as big as all of that is, the thing that we need to realise, that you need to realise, is that when he came to do these things, he came to do them for you. You were in his plans. And there is no one else who will be able to change your life the way that Jesus can change your life. Only Jesus can bring about the real change in the areas that we need. And that's why over the next couple of months, through this term, we're going to pay close attention to him, watch him, listen to him, and hopefully follow him as well as we work our way through this gospel called Mark. Um, Now, in the Bible, um, people have various levels of familiarity, so let me just start at the beginning here. The Bible's made up of lots of different books and in the Old Testament at the start you have the books of the law and the prophets and there are the Psalms and the other writings and then you get to the New Testament and the New Testament begins with four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the four Gospels. And Mark is what we're looking at. Mark is one of those Gospels. It is the shortest of the four, which is a good thing. Uh, It is the action-packed, fast-moving story of Jesus' life. And so fast-moving that Mark gets down to business right in the very first verse. So let's pay attention to what goes on uh, in the first verse. Straight up, without any messing around, Mark tells us this. What he has got written here is good news. It is The gospel, that gospel means good news. That's another way you can translate it. He's got good news to announce. So it's not just advice. Mark isn't writing a book of philosophies to follow. He's wanting to announce things that have actually happened. News that he's going to tell us is focused on a person. This news is about Jesus. 
a real person in history. So Mark has got a message to share about something that happened about a person, good news about Jesus, and pretty quickly he tells us why it's good news. It's good news because Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. Um, Christ is not the surname of Jesus. So my surname, Matthew Oates, doesn't tell you much about who I am. It's just my surname. Christ is not the surname of Jesus. It's a title. It tells you about who he is and what he's come to do. In the language of the Old Testament, Hebrew, uh, we get that translated as Messiah. Okay, so Christ and Messiah are the same thing, mean the same thing. And this is who Jesus is. He is the Messiah. Now, Messiah is a word that is loaded with lots of meaning. It's an Old Testament word that's full of history and anticipation, all packed into this word. For a start, to be the Messiah means to be the king, to be the long-promised king that God said would come. The long-promised king that God said would come and rescue his people, rescue the world, who would come into the, the world to transform things and renovate things. Um, not this kind of a renovation, the, the one that uh, you and I watch on TV, um, and certainly not this kind of renovation that I've... Oh, I'm not very good at that kind of stuff. But, you know, you go to Bunnings, you buy the stuff, you try your own renovation. No, that's small scale. <clears throat> when the Messiah comes <clears throat> when the Messiah comes to renovate, we're not talking about that scale, we're talking about this scale. He's changing the whole world. That's the history, that's the anticipation, that's the loading that's there in the title Messiah, and that's how big it is that Mark says Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. And the size of what Jesus has come to do is also reflected in the first couple of words that Mark uses in his gospel. He writes, this is the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, Son of God. And when he uses those words, he chooses those first two words deliberately because he wants us, his readers who are familiar with the Bible, to think back to another part of the Bible that says, in the beginning, right at the start. Words that point us to the creation of the whole world. This is how big Jesus is. In terms of who Jesus is and what he's come to do, Mark is saying this is the beginning of the good news, of the new beginning for the whole of the world. A beginning that starts small in a place called Jordan, which flows out into the whole of the world and affects everyone, everywhere. Um, not only is Jesus the Messiah, Mark says more in that first verse still. There's more to unpack. We looked a moment at the first two words. Let's look now at the last four words in this verse. This is the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Son of God, that's a big claim that Mark makes right there at the beginning. And what you need to do, you need to realise this, not only does that sound like a big claim to our ears, but for the readers of Mark's Gospel, written originally for people living in the Roman Empire, in Rome, we believe, this is also a very subversive kind of thing to say. Because there was someone else at that time, someone very powerful, who liked to go around using the title Son of God for himself. Here is Augustus. 
Augustus was the first emperor in the mighty Roman Empire. And Augustus did something really clever when his adopted father, Julius Caesar, died. Augustus deified Julius Caesar. He declared that he had now become a god, which of course made Augustus the son of a god. And so son of God was one of the titles that he took for himself, a title that was carried on by Augustus's stepson, Tiberius, who became the next Roman emperor, who minted coins with the title printed on them, Tiberius Caesar, son of the god Augustus. You thought Donald Trump was bad. (laughs) These Roman emperors, they were crazy. Uh, Well, humble guy that Augustus was, um, he organised official announcements to be produced and to be distributed all around the known world. Announcements that would declare to the people that he was son of God and to, to take to the people the achievements that he'd made. Do you know what they called these announcements? these things that were tweeted out across the empire, they were gospels. Uh, That's what they were. They were called gospels, written accounts to tell the world of the emperor's glorious achievements as son of God. So Mark doesn't invent this term gospel. Uh, The New Testament writers don't invent it. They take a word that's already in use and they subvert it. But Mark wants to subvert it to talk to us about the one who is the real son of God, who he is, and what he'd come to do. And get this, in Augustus's Gospels, uh, the achievements, one of the ones he was proudest of was talking about the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome that had come to the world through the might and power of Rome's armies going around and obliterating any rebellion. All of his achievements were proclaimed in this kind of way. There are landmarks still standing today that you can go and visit that declare how great the emperors were. And we have expressions that are still in our own uh, language, don't we? We say, well, all roads lead to Rome. Mark's writing to say, actually, guys, I've got better news than that, a better gospel than that, the announcement that all roads lead to Jesus. In Jesus, here is where you find the one who is the true son of God. Here is the one who you find who brings true and lasting peace to all the world. And if you want to be a part of that, he's saying, don't look to Rome. Don't look to Caesar. Look to Jesus. He's the true son of God. It mightn't have looked much from the outside in the dusty kind of outpost at the edge of the Roman Empire. But in these events, as John baptizes Jesus in the Jordan, God is up to something big. God is up to something really big. God is doing something that makes the achievements of the emperors and presidents tiny in comparison. Here's how it happens. Mark reminds us, we go into the next verse, he reminds us that the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, who'd been silent for 400 years, put down their pens waiting for something to happen. Mark reminds us that back then the prophet Isaiah had spoken about What would happen in the lead-up to the Messiah coming, the Lord coming, so that people would know he's on his way? There would be a messenger, a voice crying in the desert, calling out, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so after these 400 years of silence from the prophets, along comes John. 
And John says that he is the messenger Isaiah was talking about. He's the one the prophets had spoken of. You can imagine it this way. It's kind of like the prophets built this big stage for the Messiah to walk out on. And then they waited. And now after 400 years of waiting and waiting and waiting, John the Baptist comes along and he comes up to the stage and he turns on the lights. Not to say that he's the one. In fact, he says, it's not me. It's the one coming after me. He is the one who's greater than me. The next one to come on the stage, he's the one. I'm just here to turn on the lights to get you ready to see him walk on the stage. So there's John. You can look at verses 7 and 8. He comes up to say, turns on the lights, says, show is about to start. Verse 9, Jesus shows up, walks onto the stage. And then verse 10, it's almost as if it's not enough that the prophets have built the stage. John's turned on the lights. Verse 10, Jesus is coming up out of the water and now a massive spotlight shines down on him from heaven. And we hear the biggest voice of all, adding to the voice of Mark, adding to the voice of John the Baptist, adding to the things that we've already been told about Jesus as we read Mark's gospel. And as Jesus comes up out of the water, the voice we hear now is the voice of God. And God speaks and he says this, You are my son whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. God is saying, shining the spotlight down, saying, this one is the true son. This one is the Messiah. This is the rescuer. Jesus is the one you've been waiting for who will come and transform and fix everything. And just as we get to the point of thinking about what that means for him to come and change and fix everything, that's a good point for us to just pause and to think. I want to ask you to think about this. What do you think it means that Jesus has come to transform things? What do you want it to mean? What, what do you want Jesus to do for you? See, here he is. The moment has come. The rescue is here. He's up on the stage. And you, you want to ask yourself, what do I want him to do for me? What is it that I picture as my rescue? Yes, I, I, want, I want some of that change. I want some things fixed up in my life. I mean, we all have, don't we, a kind of picture of what we want to happen in our life that is going to fix things up, make things better. If I could just get that particular thing sorted out, then things would go well for me. It's kind of like in our hearts there's a script that we are writing for a Messiah who is going to change things for us, who will rescue and fix things up. What's the script that you've got? What's the picture of your rescue? For some of us here... It might be that the thing that we want to change is to do with the house. Maybe it's a new house, the next house. Maybe it's fixing up the house that we're in. Maybe it's wishing that you could afford a house at all. If I got that sorted out, then everything would be okay. Is that your rescue? Or maybe it's some other possession, maybe a car or something like that. You know, house is way down the track. Right now, all I need is to get my heap of junk that is falling apart off the road and a new car. That would sort things out for me. Or maybe it's money. Maybe you're hanging out for an inheritance. The thing that's going to save you is to take the financial pressure off. Because right now, it's making life impossible. Maybe the script for your Messiah is a turnaround in your health. Is that the breakthrough that you need? 
What's the thing you're looking for? Is it a relationship change? A relationship that you want? A relationship that you're in that's gone bad, that maybe you want to get out of? Jesus, if you could just sort that out, then that would be such a big help. Then everything would be on track again. What is it for you? What's the script that you would write for the Messiah as he comes on the stage? Well, we should probably listen, shouldn't we, to God's script, to what God says about his son. Because in the things that he says from heaven, just in these couple of verses here, God is already hinting at how this whole drama is going to play out. The script that we're going to see unfold in the story of Jesus' life as we watch and listen and follow our way through Mark's gospel. There are, in these words, two things, two things to pay attention to, two things from the Old Testament, two contrasting things that God brings together when he tells us who Jesus is and what he's come to do. They were mentioned on the video. Do you remember what was on the video? When God says from heaven, you are my son, that little phrase there, that is an echo, loud and clear, from Psalm 2. Um, the biggest of the Messiah Psalms that speak about the conquering king who is going to come and rule the world. There's an echo, very clear echo from Psalm 2 about this conquering king. But in the script that God gives us as he speaks, as Jesus comes up out of the water, he joins that with an echo from another part of the Old Testament from the prophet Isaiah. And this time it's a different kind of figure. This time it's an echo of the, the figure of the servant. See, the servant, the one who God is going to put his spirit on. As Jesus sees the spirit come down and he comes up out of the water, he hears the voice of God say, You're my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You're the one in whom I delight. Is another way that's translated. And so... Jesus is identified also as the servant figure in Isaiah. But if you know anything about the book of Isaiah, you probably know that the servant in Isaiah is the suffering servant. He brings peace through his own suffering and through his own death. So what does Jesus come, uh, who is Jesus and what does he come to do? What does it mean for him to be our rescuer? The voice that comes from heaven says something crucially important. He tells us that Jesus is both the king and he is the suffering servant. He's the son of God who will win an amazing victory and he's also the servant of the Lord, the one who's going to suffer and through his suffering bring peace for other people. And suddenly a couple of things that have been seen as different characters, different people, have been put together in a way that no one saw coming. The conquering king and the suffering servant, they're not different people. They are one and the same person. Both of these characters wrapped up in the one person, Jesus, and both of these people who do amazing things to bring peace, but in very different ways, coming together in the same climax at the end of the drama in the cross, the crucifixion of Jesus. The cross where something happens that no one saw coming. People are astonished and amazed as we read Mark's gospel. How could this happen? But it's been part of the script from the beginning, from the beginning, from the beginning of the gospel. The cross where Jesus goes into battle as the conquering king and he wins a massive victory 
through his own suffering and death. At the cross, he achieves peace that far outstrips, is wider, is deeper, is more lasting than anything, any Pax Romana that Augustus achieved. It's interesting, isn't it? You've got this one king, this emperor, who brings his so-called peace through the suffering and death of many others. And you've got this other king, the Messiah, who through his own suffering and death for the sake of many others, brings a true and lasting peace. Brings to you not just a house but an eternal home. Brings to you a treasure that is worth more than any financial incentive, any inheritance that you could have. Who wins for you something that brings health to your very soul, who restores the most important relationship of them all, And this great renovation that he brings about that affects the whole world, that flows out into the whole world, is something that begins in your heart. Jesus came for the transformation of your heart. See, all of those other things that our hearts long for, that we tell ourselves will rescue us, rather than rescuing us, what they actually do is they lock us up, they make us slaves to pursuing them because they never really deliver the peace that we need. But Jesus has come to set you free from that. He's come to set you free so that your heart can find its true joy and its true pleasure when you hear the voice from heaven say, you are my son, you are my daughter, whom I love. In you, I'm well pleased. That's the big renovation project Jesus came to, a heart set free, to follow and live for the one who died for you. So how do you get that? How do you get hold of that heart set free? How do you make a straight path in your heart for Jesus? Well, here's what we'll finish up with. I don't know if you noticed this, but there's a word that both John the Baptist and Jesus both use. Both of them use the same word. And this is what it means to respond to Jesus as the one who can truly bring change in your life. John talks about repentance, right? And when Jesus comes, his message is the same thing. He says, repent. So as you hear about Jesus and the good news of his rescue, what you need to do is you need to ask, what am I meant to do at this point? What what should I do with hearing this? Jesus' answer is repent. Repent. And what repent means is turn around. That's essentially what it means. Turn around. It means turn around from going the direction that you're going in. Turn around from all the things that you're running after. From all the things that you hope will rescue you and make life better. Jesus says, turn around and start following me. Turn around and listen to me. Turn around And look at me, watch me. Because I'm the one, I'm the only one who can deliver what you need. I want to give you a tip. Here's the key to repentance. The thing about repentance is to worry less about the things you're turning away from and pay a whole lot more attention to the one that you're turning to. Okay? You know that's true when you're driving. If you're driving and you need to make a U-turn somewhere, you don't turn the car and then 
just keep driving along, looking over your shoulder, still worried about the other direction. No, you focus your attention where you're headed to. Repentance, the key is pay more attention to the one that you're turning towards than the things you've turned from. What you need most is Jesus. So turn to him, listen to him, follow him. Make him the big rock in your life. And it will take time, it won't be instant, but those other things will find their right place. They'll start to make sense. Who is Jesus and what did he come to do? Well, Mark sets the stage for us in the first couple of paragraphs. How do you respond to this part of God's word today? You turn to Jesus. Watch him, listen to him, follow him, and let him set your heart free from all the false promises of other things we hope will rescue us because the rescue that he brings is through the cross, ultimately. That's where we're headed in Mark's gospel. We're headed to the cross. He's the only one who can deliver the heart set free that you long for. So turn to him. Watch, listen, and follow Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we... We know that it's true that often in our hearts we're looking for other things to rescue us, to make the change that we think is going to sort everything out. And too often our eyes are focused on that. Please help us in seeing Jesus more clearly now to turn to him so that we will watch him and listen to him and follow him, not just here for a couple of hours on a Sunday, but every day to every day be deliberate about turning to him, to watch and listen and follow so that we might see our lives changed and the world changed. And we pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.